I'm really sorry if this is kind of a noisy podcast episode. I can hear my housemates talking. There's like a garbage truck, I think, doing the laps around this area, picking up rubbish. There's birds giving each other shit and probably choking in bushfire smoke. But I'm just going to persevere and hopefully this will be a good episode anyway and my frustration will not show through. Um, so, where was I? About six weeks ago, at the beginning of November, a charitable organization called Our Watch, um, it's quite clever, their name, Our Watch, it's about ending violence against women and their children, so women and their children is Watch, Our Watch. Um, not entirely sure about the possessive undertones there, our women and their children, but anyway, this organization, this charity, Our Watch, its goal, obviously, is ending um, violence against women. Men's violence against women, I suppose, is sort of implicit there. Uh, And they have been working with the, I think it's the Victorian Government's Office for Women uh, on 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 a report titled Men in Focus, which was released in early November. Uh, Men in Focus is a follow-on report from a report that was released in 2017. It was commissioned by the Victorian government in the wake of the Victorian Royal Commission into family violence. And that report was called Free from Violence, Victoria's Strategy to Prevent Family Violence and End All Forms of Violence Against Women. And this later report, which was just released in November, called Men in Focus, is subtitled Unpacking Masculinities and Engaging Men in the Prevention of Violence Against Women. So it's really focusing in on men and masculinities and what they have to do with violence against women, which if you follow conversations about violence in our society is pretty much everything. Um, So that's what I'm going to talk about in this podcast is this Our Watch report, Men in Focus, but I kind of want to talk about it for a specific reason, which is that I've been feeling a little bit jaded about gender-based conversation for a good while, and I think founding Homer and trying to get people to write into the space of masculinities in new and challenging ways was my response to that jadedness. I sort of thought if I create this magazine and encourage people to write into this space, then that can be my contribution to what I see, what I see as a sort of quite bare bones debate. Um, and I'm, I don't think that's entirely worked. And I suppose reading this Our Watch report, which really is like, it's fucking impressive. It's massive. And it is, in, 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 in essence, what it's doing is synthesizing all of the existing research on men, masculinities and violence against women and what they all have to do with each other, which is a mammoth undertaking. And it does so incredibly well. But it really, in, in summarizing and synthesizing all of that research really highlights to me what conversations about gender are just not doing at the moment and just how difficult it is when your framework is gender to 
to have really challenging, thought-provoking conversations about society. And, and I think that's because this myopic focus on gender, it's not enough. Nor does considering gender in a vacuum lead to fruitful conversations about deep systemic issues in society. And I think that the, the logical comeback to that would be gender is a deep systemic issue in society, which of course it absolutely is, but it's so often considered in isolation. Anyway, I'm going to explore that idea a little further as I go on. But I just want to start out by saying that if you or someone you know is impacted by sexual assault, family or domestic violence, call 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732 or visit www.1800respect.org.au and in an emergency call 000. Okay, so this report, Men in Focus, Unpacking Masculinities and Engaging Men in the Prevention of Violence Against Women. So this report is really expansive. Uh, it's about 100 pages long, and it goes through outlining the problem of violence against women, um, defining what masculinities are, sort of noting that we used to think of masculinity as a single construct, and now it's multiple. There are masculinities. They're situational and contemporary uh, and intersectional, you know, they interact with factors of class and race and ability and sexuality. Um, then it sort of talks about what our dominant forms and patterns of masculinity are um, and how attached we are to them and how those attachments affect us, how they affect men's relationships with other men um, and how they affect men's emotional makeups how that leads to violence and how it might be engaged to prevent that. It sort of notes that there are promising approaches for preventing preventing men's violence against women through addressing masculinities and engaging men. It talks about, you know, engaging men as fathers and healthy or positive masculinities, how, how initiatives that are community-based or that sort of work specifically with groups such as like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders can be effective. Uh, and then it sort of, you know, points out key challenges and tensions, how people tend to respond <laughs> for better and, and considerably for worse to people trying to prevent violence against women and what we need to do, what should be done in order to make sure those challenges are, are sort of met the right way and overcome. And then it gives uh, a really sort of concise and, and great list of recommendations for policymakers and future research. And it would take hours, to be honest, to go through all of the really fascinating and juicy and compelling syntheses in this report. And I would basically just recommend that you find it for yourself. The organization has uh, a website, our watch org.au and you can download this report men in focus for free but i'm just going to go through and pick out a few kind of key uh, findings that really speak to uh, i guess what i've been feeling about conversations about gender lately and and especially conversations about masculinities 
And I want to start with this one line from one of the sort of big guns in Australian masculinities writing. There are a few. Um, and one of them is this guy, Michael Salter. And there's this line in the report that's sort of, uh, yeah, addressing one of his key observations. So it says here, uh, I think it's on page 41 of the report. Salter suggests governments and funders are less likely to support work that addresses and reforms our institutions and systems. Such work is seen to be more difficult to do and more politicised than efforts that address norms and practices. This might explain why a proper analysis of the structural elements of gender inequality is often missing in prevention work focused on men and masculinities. Addressing norms and individual practices is easier to do and also deflects attention away from the structural elements of this inequality and the fact that governments are implicated in those structural elements. So I sort of feel like a report like this is really, you know, sh should have a quote like that kind of sitting on, the, on, on page one. It's basically that tension, the fact that this sort of report, um, I guess, fudges a bit when it comes to the question of institutions and structures and systems that has bothered me about pretty much all writing about gender in recent history. Um, and this report, in, in its synthesis of this huge amount of literature, really makes clear that that's quite a systemic problem in writing about gender. There isn't a robust understanding or engagement with the concept of structure. So, for example, in this report, you end up with lines like this, quote, We will never end violence if we seek only to change one man at a time, rather than adopting a whole-of-population approach to changing social structures and norms, end quote. Now, that sounds absolutely right. I couldn't agree with that more myself. How do you do that? In masculinities, at least there's still just kind of a close focus on the problems of men in these small contexts. So that it becomes kind of meaningless when you sort of are told as a result of, you know, all of this knowledge that we've gathered that we must, quote, we must therefore also use policy and institutional, legal and systemic approaches to shift social structures. Because gender norms and practices are inextricably linked to broader policy and systemic processes in our social, political, and economic structures. It's like, yeah, they absolutely are, but, but where, where are the answers for that? They're certainly not in gender studies, and the solutions that gender studies offers tend to be a bit self-serving. Now, this is me being very cynical, but, but one, at one part of this report... The author goes through um, specific models, sort of working with masculinities. You know, there's sort of psychological models and gender transformative approaches. And one of the key models is this so is, is called the social ecological model. The benefit of the social ecological model is that it sort of allows us to understand, and here's, here's the quote, how gender inequality and violence against women operate across multiple levels and how there is a need for interventions to be delivered at all levels. And this is kind of what I mean by self-serving. You know, if you accept this interpretation, then you don't need to smash the system or overthrow it. You just need to implement interventions at every single level. 
which like, <laughs> uh, it, really like who's, I mean, who's going to do this? You know, the, the same people who are suggesting that we need interventions at every level of society, are the people who will be hired to implement those interventions if they're ever going to happen, which to be frank, I just don't think they are. You know, the author of this report notes that structural and systemic components often fall out of the frame of such interventions. And of course they fucking do. So concluding that prevention efforts must attempt to address all of the different levels, it's circular and it's anti-revolutionary. It, it, it tips its cap to the concept of structure, but, but there's something contradictory about its approach. You do, you do hear a lot about structural change, the need for systemic change in gender studies, writing about masculinities. But it's kind of, um, it's a bit hypocritical. I mean, it's also really interesting to consider the shift over time from masculinity to masculinities and the similar implications of that change for people who work in gender studies and on masculinities. There's a, a line in this report Men's practices demonstrate that masculinity is multiple, even if it is often thought of as a single universal form or as a discrete set of norms. You know, this report makes clear that what we think of as masculine and the way that people interact with masculinity is becoming increasingly, or always has been, and we just haven't observed it, I suppose, is another is another possibility, increasingly muddy and confused and complicated you know, there are all of these interacting factors that mean that what we think of as masculinity and what is encompassed by a term like masculinities is just huge. It's absolutely massive, which you would think kind of undermines the concept of masculinity or masculinities as an entry point for social change. If essentially what study of masculinities is demonstrating is that they are inescapably broad and that they interact with factors beyond our ken, then is that really where we should be entering? I mean, it's possible that every factor like that, every factor, race, class, ability, sexuality, once you really look close at it, closely at it, it's going to be infinitely confusing and intricate and complex. And, I mean, my bet is that's absolutely the case. But it also sort of seems to me like once you've discovered that masculinities are, are kind of infinitely complex and becoming only more so the closer we look, the less there should be call for that as the primary entry point for preventing men's violence against women, because, because masculinity is a product, not a root. And that's, that's, that's another thing that comes out in the literature, is that many key theorists of gender place masculinity and place gender at the root of violence against women. And I'm just not sure I can agree with that. 
beyond all other factors. Speaking of, of big guns in Australian masculinity work, another of them, Michael Flood, uh, is quoted in this report quite extensively, but one of his big quotes is, gender inequality is the problem and gender equality is the solution. I could not agree more with that. However, prevention efforts, efforts to engage men, and efforts that operate solely on the basis of gender and masculinity really don't seem to live up, in my mind, to the revolutionary and, and really serious implications of an observation like that, that gender equality is the solution. I mean, what you're really talking about there is, if you want to talk about structural issues, you're talking about massive wealth redistribution, you're talking about housing, you're talking about education, you're talking about environmental degradation and the prevention of it, you're talking about land rights, you know, these really, really big questions that involve massive investment of money and time and infrastructure, the creation of it and the utilization of it. And implementing prevention efforts at every level of society as it currently exists is kind of deliberately turning a blind eye to the fact that society as it currently exists is the problem. I don't want to spend, I don't mean to spend this podcast kind of shitting on this report because the author of it, um, Dr. Shane Tass, he he's done an extraordinary job, you know, like what I'm beefing with here is not, is not the, the report. It's, it's, it's masculinity's literature, you know, it's, it's what all of this, uh, work on men and masculinities and its relationship to violence is encouraging us to think and how it's encouraging us to act. You know, there's a, another great example here. There's really, there's a really good section in this report on, on masculinities and gender work on scientific sexism, um, and how sexism in scientific findings informs commonly held beliefs about innate or biological differences and particularly regarding men's supposedly innate sexual aggression. But the idea that the sciences as a discipline emerged historically from a masculine and male-led attempt to enforce order on the natural world and order through a capitalist lens as well is never 
explored. And, and, and that's because it's not in that literature, you know. And so instead, the solutions that the report reaches or that it finds in the literature is that we just need the right science. We need, you know, non-sexist or anti-sexist science, which, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe that'd help. But personally, I'd rather just reform why we seek knowledge in the first place, which would, of course, require a much deeper dispositional reordering of priorities. I mean, here's a really interesting finding. Men who lack empathy are more likely to objectify women and act in antagonistic ways towards them, especially when experiencing stress, conflict, and hurt. Well, okay, that's actually not that interesting of a finding. It kind of makes intuitive sense. This is the interesting part. Thus, initiatives that build men's empathy for women and around the hurt and violence they experience are seen to be increasingly important. Like, how do you... (laughs) How do you come up with an initiative that builds someone's empathy for women in a lasting way? Like, you're working against a whole-of-society approach to reducing people's empathy for women. And I'm not talking about just men's empathy, like, women's empathy for women as well. Like, you can't come up with an initiative... I'm I'm sorry, I just, like... You cannot come up with an initiative that is lastingly effective in the way that the conditioning of a patriarchal capitalist society from birth is. There's no initiative for turning that around. It's just, there's no such thing. These blind spots are in the literature are so frustrating. Here's another, here's another quote. Homophobia and sexism are intimately connected, which suggests there are strong links also between homophobic acts of violence and violence against women. Research suggests that the drivers of violence against women and against the LGBTIQ community in general both stem from rigid gender norms and structures. Which is like, sure, but where do the norms and structures come from? In whose interest is it and why to perpetuate them? This is about economics. It's about power, structural power. People who threaten economic orders predicated on strict gender roles and racial hierarchies are the ones most violently treated in our society. And that's not a coincidence. You know, trans women of colour are the key victims of violence in this society, and they are the ones most obviously transgressing sexual and racial hierarchies, which underpin our economic order. And, And you can flip this around as well. Like, there's a line in here... Men who experience gender role stress are those who are most invested in attaining these ideals of masculinity and who therefore feel stress or conflict due to not being able to embody these. The qualities that it's talking about there are being courageous, autonomous, rational, tough, all that sort of stuff. And gender role stress to me is a really interesting concept. But when you think about what a masculine gender role is, you know, being courageous, autonomous, rational, tough... Does gender role stress reflect gender or something deeper, organizationally speaking, about the ordering of society? You know, like, an autonomous, rational, tough masculinity, that's that's a historically contingent masculinity. That's a masculinity of here, of now, and it arose for specific reasons. I mean, something that's sort of really just touched on in this report, but still feels very, very significant to me, is... This quote on on page 62, men's use of violence is gendered, whether this violence is directed against women, children, or other men. 
Early on in the report, it's pointed out that 94 to 95% of all violence against other people, men, women, and children, is committed by men. In some ways, a focus on violence experienced as a result of gender, as a result of being a woman, for example, is helpful. And on the other hand, implicit in that is that we're not ready to talk about where violence itself originates. You know, we're ready to change practices, to implement initiatives, to legislate, to to affect attitudes, to educate, to promote. But we're not ready to overthrow or overhaul, rebuild, destroy. Another sort of big wig in masculinity is quoted in this report, Bob Pease, saying, Men often want things to change, but they do not want to relinquish their power. In this way, privilege acts as the glue that keeps men tied to sexist ideologies and dominant patterns of masculinity. That's a really important observation. But what I would take from that is not that you need to challenge their status as men, you need to challenge their power. We treat qualities like hypersexuality and aggression and control as ironclad, like they're forever qualities that we've only just started working on for the first time in history, but but they're contemporaneous characteristics of a very culturally and temporally distinct group of men, and the question of how they became so normalised is almost never asked. I mean, wouldn't it be fascinating to have people really consider what power is structurally and in their own lives, and what giving it up would look like, and coming to grips with how they would feel about that, not sort of like thinking about society as something that just needs a series of interventions in order to improve what is already a majority good system, but thinking about it as something that is, at its core, wrong in certain very significant ways. And, and beginning to come and beginning to come emotionally and politically to grips with the idea of what it would cost to change that. That said, personal is political. I, I definitely do believe that. And on page 91 of this report, there's a list of things that men can be doing to be good allies. And it's a great list. It goes like this. You can work in consultation with women and women's organizations. You can listen to women. You can advocate for women's leadership. You can acknowledge and reflect on male privilege. And you can learn to live with this discomfort. That's a big one. And you can hold other men accountable and lead by example. Those are all things that men should be doing. Absolutely. You can't fault them. And those are from the very same literature that I have just spent half an hour shitting on. Um, Which, look, really... This series of complaints, I don't know, they might be valid criticisms, they might not be. I think they are, but that's what I'm getting at. This is about me, more than the literature. I think there are some people who will be happy kind of like rolling around in the world of gender in isolation without thinking critically about class and about structure and about protest and organisation 
I am just becoming less and less one of them. And less and less convinced that from the standpoint of gender, you can draw people into those worlds. Maybe you're better off doing it the other way around, you know? Like, people have torn apart class-based movements, political, revolutionary, class-based movements, on the basis that they were incredibly sexist and racist and often had internal systems of discrimination. But maybe in the present day, where movements like that, especially in the West, are increasingly threatened, you're better off aligning yourself with a movement like that And then, from within that movement, trying to get people to think more proactively about race and gender and ability and sexuality. Then you are starting with any of those and trying to get people to think about political revolution and overhaul. Because otherwise, you end up with a 100-page report on everything that all of the, the leading thinkers have to say about men, masculinities, and what that has to do with violence, and nothing significant is said about structure, about system. There's just more programs, more initiatives. And I I don't doubt that those things help, but I'm not satisfied by them. This, This is not a moment in history where programs and initiatives feel like what is called for to me.